Annie, wake up, seize the day. I never left your side, even though it's hard to realize. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Listen Well, a Love Well podcast. The Love Well Institute for the Creative Arts is an arts education not-for-profit where students from around the world have been conceiving, writing, and performing original full-length musicals since 1989. Happy New Year, Love Well community! We are kicking off 2019 with another episode in our Love Well Spotlight series, where we sit down to bring you long-form interviews with legends in the Love Well community. The interviews focus on the artists' past, present, and future, exploring the role the Lovewell Method has played in their development as an artist, but also how their own artistry has helped develop the Lovewell Method over the years. Tonight's guest is someone who has made an appearance on this podcast before, the multi-talented singer, songwriter, musician, theater maker, and friend, Laura Galindo. We sat down on January 2nd in Weston, Florida to have the conversation that you are about to hear. We discussed Laura's time at NYU, her semester abroad in Paris, her music, her work as a Lovewell student and staff member, the musical visuals of Quentin Tarantino films, and the legacy of Annie Aspen, a Lovewell character created by Laura who has recently found new life in her latest original work. We'll mention this later in the recording and add links to our episode notes, but Laura's EP, Tastes Like Dreams, is available for purchase on iTunes and Bandcamp, as well as less profitable for the artist streaming sites. You'll hear selections from that EP throughout the interview, but be sure to pick up a digital copy of your very own. On another note, you might notice some vocal discrepancies in the quality of the audio this evening. A master engineer I am not, so while you most importantly will be able to hear Laura crystal clear tonight, my vocals will be coming in a little softer. I did my best with the post-production, but please be kind. There's no curtains to peel back tonight, just doors to open as we head to the backyard for our conversation with Laura. <laughs> Hoping he might breathe it in 
Hi, Tyler. Thanks so much for joining us on Listen Well. I'm so excited. It's super warm out. Yes. And, um, this is the first podcast I've recorded where the UV wearing sunglasses. So yeah, I mean, we're in your grotto, so yes, got to be prepared. Yes, this is my grotto at the Rassler Estate. <laughs> um, I won it in the bet a couple of summers ago, and uh, I let Shelby and her family use it, uh, which is nice, I think. Yeah, um, you're very kind. How's it going? Um, it's going well. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. What are you doing here in South Florida? Um, it's winter break, and it's my senior year of, of college, so I graduate in May. Exciting. Yes, but I don't know what my plans are yet, for sure, after college, so I figured, you know, I've got to spend time with my mom yep. um, in case I'm not home for the summer. Are you also graduating from Yankee Stadium? Yes. Excellent. Yes, excited. I'm so excited. Although, I mean, I, I mean, I'm just nervous. You know, yeah. I feel like I'm gonna mess up graduation day somehow. Highly, highly unlikely. Yeah. Like. Do you... They don't even let us walk across, right? No, God. not at Yankee Stadium, but at your school graduation. Radio City uh, Radio Music City. Hall. Uh, I got to graduate from Radio City Music Hall, and I walked across the floor barefoot. My, wow. That was my secret story for <laughs> that I've just uh, told the world. Uh, who do you hug? Who I, so the way that. Do you hug? I mean, I graduated from Steinhardt, which is different oh. from Tish. But when we, we got to walk, I don't know if you, hopefully you get to walk. And believe it or not, my advisor was the person who called my name. So oh. I got to shake my advisor's hand, who I really loved. So wow. Cool. I feel like he finagled it so he got me and my group of Oh, that's really sweet. Are you excited about graduation? Are you terrified about graduation? What's the ratio there? I'm about as excited as any artist is when they're about to graduate, yeah. which is like, um, I don't know what's going to happen next. But I, I'd say I, I've been very, like, lucky, and and uh, I think the universe really cares for me. So I, I'm not, because it's cared for me so much in my life. So I'm not so worried. I think it'll all work out, but I none of it of how it will work out has been revealed to me yet. Yeah. So it's still a bit of a journey. Yeah. It's not like you get to interview at a big law firm and Yeah, exactly. Yeah, take my L sat, L cats, whatever. Do you feel like you want to keep living in New York City? Um, yes. For at least a little while. But then I wanna go to like Montreal, Paris again. Maybe live in a little villa in Italy. Who knows? You got to travel while you were at school. You oh, yeah. You abroad. Yes, I did. <laughs> uh, where was that again? Paris. Paris. Was that last year? Last school year? Junior year? Yeah, it was last spring. Last spring. Yeah. And what was that like for you? Um, It was the best experience of my life. If you are in college right now and listening, hi, go. Don't think about it twice. Just go. It is, it is, it is the most valuable time I had as an artist. How come? Because um, I didn't spend time on my art. Mm. Um, I think it's very important to spend years in like the conservatory type thing, which I did, yep. where I spent so much time dedicated to to learning. But I, I, I can't speak for everyone, but for me, I needed four months to take all that I learned and 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 figure out what I wanted to take from it, yeah. and then sort of teach myself as well. And that that's what Paris was for me. I love that. I think that. As artists, we get so caught up in making our art that we forget that we're supposed to be commenting on and reflecting on what it means to be human. Yes. And, like, the general state of yes. humanity is not art 24 hours yes. a day, yeah. Week, so we have to mm-hmm. sort of experience these other Exactly, things. yeah. It's it's crazy how much time you spend around artists in college. Yeah. And then one day you realize, like, wow, none of my art has been about actors at NYU. And yet this is all the experience I have. Yeah. 
And that's why I felt like I really needed to get out. Tell me a couple of the things that you did while you were abroad. Oh boy. Um, I, I, I spent a lot of time cooking. I spent a lot, I spent a lot of time by myself, which was another favorite thing. I went to the market every Sunday and like got legumes and I just cooked all the time and, and and also I just wandered the city. I would bike for hours and take naps in the Tuileries, you know? And and, and traveling. Traveling was huge. I mean, I have the craziest adventures of my life. Like 16 hours in Amsterdam, two days alone on an island in Spain. Um, I, it was crazy. Did you skateboard at all? I skateboarded in Barcelona. Okay. Um, yeah, because my Airbnb, it was a horrible Airbnb. Oh, no. I mean, invest in a good Airbnb. That's another one of my tips. Um, uh, well, he was, he, it was a terrible Airbnb, but I got to borrow a skateboard. So, and that was the first time going on a skateboard in like over, almost over a year. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. was always kind of my my goal since I was like a kid just because you know you hear the name in movies and you're like NYU so I I dreamt about it but I never really considered I would get in and then I had an audition and I just actually auditioned for the headmaster of Playwrights Horizons and she and I like I had a lot of kind of terrible audition experiences Mm -hmm. because you kind of feel like a product that you're you're selling a lot of the time and and this was the only audition I felt that there was a real connection between myself and the auditioner. Yeah. Auditionee? I, I don't know. Auditioner. Auditioner, yeah. And I think that's just because I I, I decided to just, like, I felt she, she invited me to be myself. Yeah. Um, 
as soon as I walked in and 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 yeah and then I mean from that audition I, I got a scholarship too because money was a, was a big issue but um she herself like gave me the scholarship and awesome. and so I got to attend the school yeah and the first year was awesome the first year is like uh sensory overload because you're like in New York and you're working until two in the morning most nights, like you're uh, one group of many groups. Yes, one school at Tisch of many schools at Tisch. Yes, of many schools at the university. Exactly, it's, it's a lot, and right? you have to make new friends, and and it's I mean, but my freshman year was magical. Yeah, and then it you know I think you, for me, um, and as as well as I've seen for many of my friends, the the sort of the veil removes itself yeah. after a while because you recognize that. Um, you don't have to be friends with everybody yeah. and you don't have to make art just to like do it. Like you, you don't have to sacrifice yourself for what you make, yeah. um, which is something that I did a lot in freshman year and, and I learned. Um, and that's why I ended up going abroad because I just felt so jaded. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I, I, as some people happens, like I was in junior year, my first semester, and I was like, I hate theater. Like it's it's a bunch of baloney, you know, and. And and I was like, okay, I need to interrogate that because I plan to dedicate my life to it, and and it just happens. But now I'm in a place where I can sort of put all things together. Yeah. It's not baloney. It's 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 it, it, more than anything. I, I feel like I sh- I feel so grateful right now that I get to spend my life doing this. Yeah. Um, and like, I think the the disillusion I had was that art like saves lives, like we're doctors, and and it doesn't. Yeah. Um, but it does enhance deeply the lives yeah, yeah, of those who see it and those who are involved. Improving them is, is just as an important yes. part of, of existence as, as saving them. Yes, as, yeah. Uh, changing them. Exactly. You don't have to that as long as you're yeah. helping make, you know, two hours of a person's life yeah. easier. Yeah, exactly. And and that that's all, and for me to remind myself that that's all I'm doing. I'm not, I don't have to go on stage and, like, feel the fear of, like, God, like, mm-hmm. leave, like looming over me. It's, it's, it's not that deep. It, it's it's as deep as it's, it's it was about making it a personal relationship yes. rather than one that I felt I owed to other people. Exactly. If it's, if it's deep and personal to you, then you have a better chance of having a profound effect on somebody else. Exactly. As to burning out. Yes. To be profound, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, do you consider yourself a theater artist? Do you consider yourself huh. a musician? Like, huh? what what sort of <laughs> name do you give yourself? Because not only do you make theater, but you are a multi-instrument artist, singer, songwriter, musician. Yeah. What sort of hat do you wear, or is hmm. it a bucket of hats that you're okay with sort of changing at will? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, and something I'm trying to answer, because I have to make my website soon, like, <laughs> market myself, and I don't, no, I, like, delete, I'm like, theater artist, delete, 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 musical theater writer, delete, 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 and I, I don't know what I am yet, I, I... I think that right now, I hate, I'm just an art, right now I'm just an artist. Um, I mean, that's great. My focuses are in playing and writing music and putting that music into storytelling. Mm. And then on, on another table, just, just being an actor. Sometimes I just love doing a straight play. Um, but, but I think right now I'm in the phase where I'm learning how to put all the things I love into one, um, which was a lot what my last semester was about. Yeah. And we'll talk about that last semester in a little bit. Um, but we've talked a little bit now about your work as a theater maker, but how has the New York experience helped you grow as a musician, singer-songwriter? 
Ooh, um, yeah. How, what effect does that have? Um, it's not necessarily something you're learning in class. Yeah, right? no, no. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm probably the only person in my grade who is doing what I'm doing. Okay. Um, specifically, like what I'm doing. Everyone's doing incredible things, but what I'm, the, like the pocket that I'm trying to fit into is very specific. So no one was there to teach me about that. Um, except, you know, like I had a great mentor, Cesar Alvarez, he's like a theater artist and he's helped me out a lot. And, and I've had so many great mentors, but, um, still I, I, no one's really taught me what I'm doing. And I think I learn what I'm doing most from the people that I choose to surround myself with. And that includes, um, the directors I work with, uh, like for the show I just did, my, my close friends who I spend all night talking about my, like what I want, what I want to make with. And my band especially has been like. I don't think I'd be a, a musician still. Well, I'd be writing music somewhere probably, but I don't think I would be as passionately following music if it wasn't for meeting my band. Well, that's the theater side of you, right? That's yeah. That's the natural collaborator in you. Yeah. You alone on a stage with a guitar is less interesting, I imagine, than having finding that band. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they are much better musicians than I am and it's a great thing to be around because um, I always have to step up for them yeah. um, and that and, and in the theater world I'm learning with these people so we're kind of all on the same plane um, so it's so great to be surrounded by people who know so much more than I do um, and and for them to still like totally res like see something in me that I don't see you know because um, I say that to them I'm like you guys are such better musicians and they're like we like like know music better, but you you feel music in a way that we don't, and and that's why we all work together, um, and that's like one of the most beautiful relationships I've built in college. And then, how does all this uh, play into your album Legal EP? Uh, Tastes mm, like mm, dreams mm, that came mm. out. Yeah, that that EP was me just being like, I need to release something. I just need to do it. And I didn't know what it was for a while. I'd just written a lot of songs growing up. And 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 one day I sort of looked at like eight songs and I was like, this could be something that I put together. And then, you know, the day I met my pianist, who is now part of the band, uh, as soon as we played a show together, he's like, wait, you guys, we should be a band. Like, we should make this together. And I was like, wow, okay. So I guess I found my, my band. Um, and as soon as we found each other, we were like, all right, let's get recording. Um, and so we recorded that album over the summer, and I summer of two thousand seventeen, yeah. And I I just spent a lot of time trying to figure out what I was trying to say with putting these songs together. And then I recognized that you know they're all like heartbroken love songs, and and or like yearning, or or talking about something you'll never get, and all the ways that that sort of hurts you. Um, and and also all of them are are mostly imagined scenarios and yeah. and and that was something I didn't really recognize until later that I was kind of lying in my music <laughs> um, but then I realized oh like I'm a theater artist like this is what I do um, so it, it made a lot of sense but then I thought you know that these are all dreams that I've had because um, they all have this sort of I think of music and images yeah. and and so like I'll be like hey can you play that riff like there's a flickering street light in Seattle and there's a man walking in a trench coat and my my pianist is like got it yep, like done, done. <laughs> and and so that's that's what I wanted the EP to feel like like we were taking 
uh, we were being taken on a journey through some dreams. Um, and that, and that is, you know, the little bonus song at the end yeah. was, uh, I got, I, I, all the songs about this one, this one guy. And, uh, eventually I started actually being with this one guy, which was lit. Um, <laughs> and so then I wrote him a song. Um, and so that little secret song at the end is like where I, where I sort of reflect on all the dreams I've had and, and then what happens when you actually get what you want. Yeah, that's fun too that you're, you've buried reality mm-hmm. as a secret track in yes. dreams. Yeah. That's pretty smart. Yeah. Do you think that your visual connection to music is tied to your love of theater and your love of film especially? Yes, I know how for sure. Film is for you as well. Are there like musical moments in films that still sort of visually inspire you today? I mean, you know, not a lot of controversial things about Tarantino, but that guy Don't understands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, that guy understands music and its relationship to images, like in a way that for me, like, gets me every time I see. And, and it's not just like oh emotional. Sometimes it's just like that was so badass. Yeah. Um, and he knows how to pair these. Like when we start Kill Bill with Bang Bang, my baby shot me down. Like whole, ugh. it's 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 stellar. It's and that was sort of the the drama of that of pairing images with with music. I think was built from my my love for for really fantastical films yeah. like the ones that Tarantino makes. Is there a song from that EP that? stands out as being especially special for you uh, yeah. besides the bonus track. Yeah. I, I would say the song that gets the image idea of what I'm what I'm interested in the most is Vulnerable. Because Vulnerable is a song I wrote in like 20 minutes. Yep. And every time I hear it, I, I feel very, like I can visualize very clearly the image of walking through an empty subway station with just like a flashlight and there's these moths and then you open a door and then the moths become butterflies that all glow purple and like that is what I see every single time I hear that song and and I think and I think I I we produced that song to be the most like clearly representative of of that image I think without explicitly saying it in the lyrics all right let's listen to a little bit of vulnerable
concert that you're playing tonight we have our lovewell the 10th annual lovewell alumni songbook concert this weekend uh talk to us a little bit about your personal lovewell history uh when did you start and walk us through a little bit of your trajectory through the lovewell experience my first show was 2000 i'm gonna say wrong number so face value classic lovewell jr and that was so much fun, I recall. Although it's like I remember that I brought like a ukulele out, and oh, yeah. I remember that. It yes, was with the ukulele. yes, and and it was me, Erica Seinkel, and Sydney Sheikman, and we like sang the song about cops and banks, and 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 after that summer, I was sort of hooked on this idea of because I did a lot of theater growing up. Yeah, but this was the first time that I was in charge of what. I, I just got to literally say, like, th- I've always wanted to do this on stage and then just write that character, and that was very exciting for me. And that was great, but, but then I did the next summer, Roots of Red, and that was a really important moment in my life, I think. Because uh-huh. I think that was the first time, well, was the first time I ever wrote something by myself because Nathan Tyson sort of pushed me into a dressing room and, like demanded it of me. Yes, this is um, the, uh, the, the classic Nathan Tyson scenario yes. that he has talked about on the show before. Of every student has a story of being thrown into a room by Nathan and, and told to write something. Yeah, and so he did that to me that summer, and that that was a very empowering experience. Um, and that was also the summer I got to work with Jacob, Jacob Jeffries, for the first time, and and also seeing the way that he think feel experiences music um and how that's more in line with how i experience it than with let's say like sheet like i don't know how to, i still don't know how to read sheet music like it was just a different way of, of experiencing music and to see that that was still possible to love music and to not necessarily love it in the way that other people love it was also so exciting for me and and i mean after that like i just kept doing it every summer i did Roots of Red, I did Infinite Dark, Justice for Infinite Dark, I did The Dragon of Drybrook, classic, and Project Legacy, and and all like five of those shows were, especially like from from, uh, Infinite Dark and on, I felt I had a very big hand Mm -hmm. in how these shows um, came to life, um, because I let myself, because I, 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 after the confidence that Roots of Red gave me, I was like, you know what? Like, I'm gonna speak up more. I'm gonna, I'm gonna express more. I'm gonna write songs more. And, you know, I wrote Where the Sun Sets in the East, The Summer of Infinite Dark. And, and then people always ask like, what's your favorite love ball show you've done? I won't it, ask you that. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, I mean, cause I, it's just a difficult question because they're all so different. But my last summer of Love Well as a student, Project Legacy, was the most, like, up until that point, the most viscerally I've felt a process. Um, it was also a, a sort of tough subject matter. Like, I would wake up many mornings and, and 
like coming out of a dream where the world was ending and I would have the anxiousness of it. But I, I think I really let myself feel everything during that session because it was my last session and and I, I was very moved by the way that that show dealt with themes that I felt like I was dealing with at the time, which was mainly like the feeling of things ending, you know, on a, on a bigger scale for sure in the show. But, but I was graduating, you know, I was moving on. Um, I was leaving behind friendships. I was, I, was, I was doing a lot of things that were really hard to deal with at that time. And, and I felt like I could like just push all of that into the show. And when I look back on Project Legacy, I'm always struck by how so many people agreed to feel all those things that that show asked us to feel. Because those were not easy things to feel. And, you know, you know this, that every couple of years when we have a strong group of students who are graduating, get ready to go off to college, we have some version of the world ending. Yes. In some way, shape, or form. Yeah. We have, um, when there is that... That, sh- that strong-voiced group of students, they find their own way to blow up the world, whether it's Meridian or in yeah. the Dark or here in Project Legacy. Yeah. Uh, and it's always interesting how far that group is willing to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so wonderful how that particular, particular process shook down yeah. um, with that show. I, I, I love that show. Yeah, me too. What sort of... Uh, what are some of the key practices you learned as a Lovewell student and now as a Lovewell staff member that still affect your art the most today? Probably the, the biggest is how to work with other people. Because uh, I, I go to college and, like, low-key, people don't know how to do that. Because we're not taught how... It, it is... People treat it as if it's a sort of thing, this, like, magical thing that you... Gain, no, you like have to take the time to learn how to work with other people. Yeah. And that is something that I, I don't think many programs in the world do that, um, which is why I value Lovewell so much. Because most of the opportunities I've gotten in college is because I had the confidence to say, like, I can just bring people together to do this. And that all it, all it takes is, is respect amongst all of us, trust amongst all of us, and a sense of kinship and an authentic sense of kinship that is that is built naturally when you trust people and when you make art with people, um, and that was something that I exclusively learned at Lovewell, and it is it is it is something that every staff member at Lovewell teaches, and 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 that was that was crucial for me. It's hard. I mean, in in so many fields, it is live or die by yourself. And, yeah. And no one's got your back, and no one's gonna look out for you, and. It's hard to give that to other people because so many people have never had that. Yeah. And I feel like the older you get, the harder it is to learn that. Absolutely. You know, and simple that like you don't have to like everyone you work with, but you have to love them. Yeah. And that's a hard thing for people to do. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's also beautiful when it when it works. Yeah. And it's it's hard to learn, but it's also just something that. Once you achieve it, once, like once you successfully do it once, you're like, wait, I'm just going to do this forever. This is definitely the way to work. Do you find uh, that your experience as a theater maker at school or in New York, uh, do you find that it's very ego-driven with your peers? And if so, how has Lovewell 
or has level taught you how to navigate that? Yeah, I mean, the thing about Playwrights Horizons Theater School is that it's it's actually structured a bit like Lovewell in that a huge focus of it is we all need to work together. It's all about collaboration there. But that doesn't mean that everyone necessarily knows how to do that. Um, because that's the whole point of the school is that people go there to learn it. Yeah. Which is why I felt like I had an, uh, a leg up on a lot of that um, as soon as I got there. And a lot of people have a tough time acclimating to that philosophy that playwrights has. And, and so they don't love it as much. Because um, that's not what they're interested in, and like that's fine. You know, you can choose to be whatever artist you want to be. But I would say that those who have chosen to give into it um, ha have learned to love it as much as I've always loved it my whole life. So of course, I mean, it's theater, it's art. It is a like a, a business where ego drives a lot of things, and sometimes in a positive way. Yeah. Of course, it gets in the way of the art sometimes, and that's when I'm like, all right, that's where the line is crossed if it gets in the way of what we're trying to to do. Yeah together, the thing that is bigger than all of us. I want to talk about a lady named Annie Aspen. Heck yeah. And can you tell me a little bit about who Annie Aspen is and where she came from? Hmm. Uh, when did she first sort of appear in the world? Yeah. And uh, talk to me about her journey through Lovewell first. Yeah. Well, Annie, um, in the year, I don't remember the year. Yeah, something like that in 2014. Um, Maybe 2013. Yeah, yeah. She she was born and uh, and uh, her assignment was to go to Venus. It was her first time going to space. She was very excited about it. And from the start, she was someone who had a passion for um, uncovering the world and and or rather uncovering the universe. And her love for it was what drove her, I think, throughout her entire life. And, you know, she sang that song, Where the Sun Sets in the East, which is, you know, classic space folk song about her yearning to explore the universe. And, and I think that's the trait that I always go back to when I think about Annie, is that, is that spirit she is um, when she's young. Yeah. So you, got, so you created and you played Annie Aspen yes. in The Infinite Dark. Yes, and Infinite Dark. The, the, the people in the Infinite Dark go on a very eccentric space funk journey. Yes. Feeding uh, uh, or outsmarting the god of a, of a planet. Yes, um, Galadak. And so Annie Aspen goes from Venus and uh, is one of the only, if not the only, Lovewell characters to then come back in another show played by yes. the same actor uh, <laughs> in a show that sort of became a stealth sequel to The Infinite Dark, which mm -hmm. was itself a stealth sequel to Portales, New Mexico. Oh my God, there's a whole timeline, guys. This whole, you know, in very Tarantino-esque, you sort of helped create this, not, not by yourself, but you helped create this sort of shared universe. Yes. And so two years later, Annie Aspen comes back in Project Legacy why do you think that she came back uh, to you? I think because I her story wasn't done. It just wasn't because she is that that hopeful youth, wide-eyed youngin. Um, and then later in her life, uh, she she deals with a lot, and and she falls in love, and she loses someone in Project Legacy, and she spends a lot of the last time she has 
trying to find him. And, and so I think, I think it was about for me that, uh, I wanted to complicate Annie, um, because then her, her, her efforts in her last days are, I think she's seen the universe in her last days and, and now she finds out what, what is driving her was her love for this person, Alex, Adam. Yeah, she loved him a lot. Uh, She loved him so much. (laughs) Um, We'll just call him Sam. Yeah, Sam. Yeah, and and what she then searches for is is for him in in the database database (laughs) database of um of like this computer tree, and and that's what her next journey is. Her her final journey is is to find him. It's still always a journey. Yes, it's always a journey. And so. Can I try to recount that shared timeline of Lovewell history? So yes. Annie Aspen lives in a future where the world, the Earth as we know it, is not doing very well because yeah. of the pillaging of resources. So she joins a space exploration group to try to terraform the other planets. Yeah. And if she's a young woman in Infinite Dark when she does that, Years have passed before Project Legacy, and I believe we're made to believe that that those terraforming efforts were not successful, yeah. and Earth was not able to find a new home. So she has now come back to Earth, and rather than try to help save it somewhere else, she's now trying to preserve the legacy. Is that yeah, correct? that's that's her. semester mm-hmm. with the project you were working on at school where in the timeline does this new Annie Aspen show fit in does it fit into that timeline yeah and why did she come back just tell us about this exciting project what was it how did it come about walk us through it 
So this is uh, the classic middle story. All right. I would say Infinite Dark, Annie's about 20. And I would say in, in Project Legacy, she's about like 40-ish. Gotta find out the third. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and that's what this this story is about, um, the story that I wrote last semester. This was a project for school? Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't have to do it, but I, I, I really wanted to. <laughs> so I called together my friends and I was like, let's make a musical. So this is this is Annie's middle story. The the actual musical follows two people, um, but in terms of Annie's storyline, it it follows her. Um, she's had her journeys through space and she's loved it. And now they trust her so much that you're, they're like, okay, we we need to uh, figure out solo missions. Can we successfully do that? And we want the first solo mission to be simple, just to the moon, and we want it to be you. And we want it, the first person to be a woman. And and she happily takes that challenge. And so she goes on the journey. But she feels like a couple a couple hours before landing, this giant meltdown of the ship happens. And she wakes up and she checks all of her systems and she's freaking out. And then she starts talking to people back home to mission control and and they're like, nothing's wrong. What are you talking about? And she is positive that something's happened and some like she hurts something deep inside of her hurts and no one is believing her. And eventually she loses contact with mission control and she has to land on the moon and and she meets an alien and and she travels home like she goes on this whole thing um but this is the one journey she goes on alone alone yeah love that why do you think annie aspen came back to you another two to three years after you've sort of had these two to three year breaks yeah. between experiences with her why why did she come back to you now a part of me just just needed to i i just don't ever feel like i'll be done with her something about her um really in- intrigues me um and i think it's i think it's her bravery and her resilience which is something that i think i will always will want to try and be inspired by and and i i just knew i mean the musical was half you know half about that and also half about this other person named laura galindo and she was performing a concert on stage and and i i had last no august of 2017 I had an accident where I broke my collarbone and I got a traumatic brain injury. Um, I was skateboarding and that's why I didn't skateboard for a year. The months following that injury were a really dark period in my life because I felt something was very wrong and no one believed me. And I would visit doctors and they would say, you're fine, you're fine. And it took me a while until I, I got the diagnosis that I actually had post-concussion syndrome, which is not a physical ailment, but um, it's part of post-trauma. It's when you feel the effects of a concussion for months and months and months. And it just kind of feels like you're dying every day. And it, and it sucked. But my journey to getting better was, like, I, I think I just needed, I needed someone to look up to, I think, in the months after. And, and when I was finally healing, I knew that I wanted to tell a story about this real thing that happened to me. And I also like love space. And, and I was like, you know, who better to like tell this, this half of the story than Annie? Because I also always wondered how she became so cold and calculated by the time she was in Project Legacy. She was a very, a very cold person compared to 
Infinite Dark, and I think this journey that she goes on is not one that makes her cold, but one that wakes her up in many ways. Um, it makes her perspective on life as a whole totally shift. I love that. I'm, I'm so, I've always been so fascinated by that character. I, as someone who lives thousands of miles away, see you working with her again yeah. uh, was very exciting for me as, as a fan of you, but also as a fan of that character. Um, it made me feel really good. I'm, I'm glad that yeah. you two found each other. Yeah. What's it like developing a piece of musical theater from a pre-existing world with collaborators who are not of that world? Well, I think one of the things that I, as soon as I realized it was Annie Aspen, I was like, all right, I might fall into the trap of worrying too much about how she fits in. Um, and I think I'm just going to let her have this story because that's kind of how I figure things out. I like make choices and then I figure out the choices later. Yep. And so I, I, I never actually... I, only spoke briefly to my collaborators about Annie's history before that but I was just like basically she's just a woman who likes to go to space mm-hmm. and that's where we're gonna work from and and the process was actually very unlike a normal level process but used the skills of a level process and that I wrote the whole thing um, but I, I started with nothing just like the idea to write a space musical about my trauma and um, and then I would just write poems or like random little scenes or little songs or just like uh, stream of thought things. And, and then I brought all these things to my collaborators and then we mapped it out together of all the ways that these things work together when you put images into the story. And, and then from there, that's where I, I sort of, the story just happened to, to me. Um, and, and that was very uh, exciting. And, and, that was because my collaborators trusted me enough to just like let me do whatever I wanted and then and then us together we make sense of it well and I feel like that's the right way to pick up a character like that is to not have it be so dependent on what comes before or after yeah that it's inaccessible right yeah anyone could just walk into the show and enjoy yeah for what it is in the same way that Infinite Dark and Project Legacy stand on its own. Right. There's just those thematic through lines yeah. that tie them together. And of course, the creative through line. Yeah. Yeah. And you had some Lovewell Lights helping you on that show. Right? I did. Gianna was, Gianna Malici was uh, a divisor with me, a dramaturge esque. And then she later took on the role of stage manager. And that was awesome. And then, sort of like a month before Showtime, I brought on Kiara. And she was a co-sound designer, and it was so great to have them in the room because of our history, and and they also really understood the sort of yes uh, factor of making art, which is like, even if something didn't make a lot of sense, it was more like, yes, let's keep going, yes, let's keep going. Um, and like, figure it out late, like, don't get caught up, like, don't be a problem person. And luckily, none of my collaborators were like that, but they were definitely helpful in leading that. So, we have a song from the show that we're going to hear. What is this song, and where does it fall into the the whole musical? This song's called The Incubation, and this song happens as soon as the her Annie's spaceship is about to break down for the second time, and she thought it was over, um, but it's not. And it's meant to be sort of a... a I always imagine, like, like, 
I'm behind like cur- like uh, veils, and it's very 80s, but still very current. Um, it's kind of like a mixture of Daft Punk and a Whitney Houston ballad, you know? Amazing. Yeah. And for those of you at home, Laura pantomimed that entire description. <laughs> it was lovely. So here's Incubation. nerve-wracking to say your resolutions to the public because yep. then you're like God, I guess I gotta do it um I think one of the big ones is I'm going to this is like the personal thing that will lead to the real thing personal things I'm gonna stop letting my self-doubt get in the way of making big moves and and that I think I'm gonna grow the audience of my music tenfold I, I want to start, I'm going to release a new EP, this, with the music from Annie Aspen's musical Space Spectacular, awesome. and, and, and just promote it. I never promoted Taste Like Dreams, like, because I was always, like, nervous, like, maybe it's not that good, um, and, and we should all stop doing that. I, I, that's what I firmly believe is, is that if you don't, if you're not, like, the biggest advocate for music, no one else will be. Um, or for your art. So that's my New Year's resolution. Where can people get your music? Spotify, Apple Music. Probably you can Google it on YouTube. Is it on Google Play. Still? It's on Bandcamp, yeah, and you can pay Bandcamp. me. Yeah. You can pay me there. So yeah, pay Laura on Bandcamp. Yeah. Uh, no, for seriously, pay your artists for their art. Uh, but yeah, you can uh, pretty much anywhere. You can just Google Laura Glindo, and now I like pop up as a as a little box that has all my info. So 
It's everywhere, y'all. You know you've made it when you're the top Google result in your name. Yes, exactly. Uh, I am still behind a minor league baseball player oh. named Tyler Grimes. But at least it's like baseball, I feel you know? Like I'm, I'm plummeting, though. I feel like it's going to go down, not up. And then our, my last question for you, uh, what's one piece of art that you're the most excited to tell other people to go check out, whether it's a movie, a song, a TV show, a musical? What's the one thing that you love sharing with other people? What should our listeners go check out right now? Because it was such a huge inspiration for Annie Aspen's musical Space Spectacular, I would say listen to the... Okay, we know it's two things. I'm cheating. That's fine. These were the two big musical things that inspired me was first, listen to early Daft Punk, like the album Discovery. They are doing some... Cra- like, there's a, there's a movie that they made called, like, Astro 555, Astro World 5. Just look up Daft Punk animated movie. Incredible. And the other thing is Arcade's Fire's album, Everything Now. Skip the whole like middle five songs. <laughs> Everything on the Edges is incredible. Middle five songs suck. But Everything on the Edges, like direct inspiration for everything that happened on my show. Arcade Fire, I know you're listening. Uh, <laughs> so it doesn't mean it when she says those oh, five yeah. songs suck. She, uh, she loves yeah. you guys. Infinite content's all right. Uh, we love when the lead singer of Arcade Fire plays the celebrity basketball game yeah. All-Star Weekend. Laura, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> thank you, Tyler. to listen to some good music She said, don't you think it's a little too late But she got on that downtown train She spent her final dollar She don't know why But she began to pray Brooklyn I love you like
came He was gone Well, he laid beside her But his heart had moved on He played that young girl Like a violin Gave her two fifty And on the walk to the station You could hear her sing Brooklyn I love you like forever, baby Brooklyn But you never mind Brooklyn If I fight a little harder And that's the show. We want to thank Laura again for sitting down for this wonderful interview. Be sure to support Laura's work on iTunes or Bandcamp whenever possible. And thank you all for joining us for tonight's episode of Listen Well, a Love Well podcast. Be sure to subscribe and we will see you later this month for a special Love Well embedded episode where we will be taking a look back at the 10th annual Love Well songbook concert from earlier this month. We're going to end tonight with something a little different than usual. We're going to end with one more song. This is a recording of the song, If You Wait For Me, from Project Legacy, which we discussed earlier in the episode. It's a song which is more commonly referred to as just Annie's song. The recording comes from the cast party after the show, during the original production in 2015. And this singular performance does a pretty... I think, incredible job of capturing not only the spirit of the fiery performers who created the show, but it also captures the essence of Annie Aspen and how important that character was and remains to the Lovewell community. Past Listen Well guest and Lovewell alumni Sam Janvier is on lead vocals here, but during the final chorus, the entire cast joins in to sing. The whole cast singing is not written into the show, it didn't happen during the production, and that moment that it happened during this recording was not planned or prompted. It was spontaneous, and everyone was together. The moment still brings a tear to my eye to this day, and I was really glad I was able to find this recording. I'm happy to share it with you tonight. Enjoy the track, and we will see you next time. Until then, this is Tyler Grimes reminding you to listen well, create well, love well. Good night. Know that you're feeling this sorrow And it's just one tomorrow
Yeah. Don't stop.